Hello, ladies. This is April, as always, host of the Femme Future podcast, and I am back with you today talking with my good friend, Sarah Lloyd. And our whole purpose on the call today is to talk about why you're probably not eating enough. Sarah is a certified functional nutritional therapy practitioner and co-founder of Wellness Revival, a nonprofit committed to disrupting the current health and wellness industry with an easily accessible wellness center allowing anybody to succeed in their health. The wife and mother of two busy kiddos, Sarah teaches women how to restore their metabolisms and renew their minds so that they can be resilient to stress and confident in their purpose. I frequently talk to women in our community and they don't know what to eat. They feel confused. They're told they have endo so they can't eat red meat. They're told they have endo so they better be a vegan. They're told they can never touch dairy again and gluten is from the devil. Those things are just not as simple as it makes it sound in a meme. And I wish I was exaggerating, but I've seen memes that really look like these things. So we need to slice some of this up. And of course, you know, my story, I've found that actually eating more of nutrient-dense foods is what gets me hormone balance, is what gets me feeling good. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. I am so excited. This is what I love to do. I am a functional nutritional therapy practitioner, and basically what that means is I am able to, with your signs and symptoms, help you identify imbalances in the body and using food, lifestyle changes, sometimes supplements, bring the body back into balance so that it can function the way it was intended to function. I have a certificate through the Nutritional Therapy Association. You can check them out online, find the website. And I have been practicing since 2017. I've done all the things from seeing one-on-one clients to group coaching to writing programs. April and I met as we were both going through some things together, seeing the same practitioner for certain things that we were going through. I'm so grateful for April for many reasons, many, many reasons, and I could list them forever, but I won't. (laughs) I started this health journey probably all because of of a weight loss thing, tried paleo, keto, intermittent fasting, all the things. And I developed severe eczema. All of a sudden, it just kind of popped out. And I was trying all the things and nothing was working. And then recently, within the last maybe 18 months, I found what is referred to as pro-metabolic eating and started eating that way. Basically, it's just eating enough food that's nutrient dense. And would you believe it? My eczema disappeared. Mm. My hormones are fantastic and I have great looking skin, lots of energy, painless, easy periods. I'm also the co-founder of a nonprofit here in town called Wellness Revival, where we teach about how to get healthy and whole and body, soul and spirit and what that looks like and give people tools for that. That's awesome. I'm so glad they're here to chat about this. This is just such an important aspect of my healing journey. I just don't see it that the communities and Instagram and everyone is getting this right. Women are being burdened with more and more and more when they're trying to find healing, they're trying to find balance. And I really want them to be unstrapped from that. I want them to have less. I want them to feel ease and to really enjoy their food and to really enjoy the gut healing process. So with all that said, tell me a little bit about why 
these diets aren't exactly great for women. Because you and I have kind of come to learn that a lot of these diets aren't even really based in science that was for women. What I think people, what I think women and men need to understand this too, when they give poor nutrition advice. But what us as women need to understand is when we see studies that come out on intermittent fasting and keto and all these things, those studies have not been performed on women of childbearing age. And there's many reasons why scientists, nutritionists, doctors, whatever, won't quote unquote experiment on women who can birth children because they fear the consequences of birth defects and all those things. So we need to understand that those of us who are still getting our cycle, probably should not be doing intermittent fasting, keto, low carb, any of those like low carb, high fat, or just low calories, cutting our calories like significantly, like 800 calories is not enough. And what we don't realize is that our bodies really do run well on all of the macronutrients, which are fat, protein, and carbohydrates. We need all three and in certain ratios to run optimally. As women are doing their research, like, oh, I'm going to cut out all these things. I'm going to cut out gluten. I'm going to cut out dairy, which I did. I did. I cut out gluten. I cut out dairy. I cut out corn. I cut out sugar. What happens is you're left with like nothing to eat. You're left with like celery and celery tastes disgusting. And so when you eat things that aren't really high calorically, they don't provide enough energy for your brain to function, for your liver to function for your whole body to function. And we get really low metabolic rates, low body temperatures, slow digestion, weak immune systems, because we're all in the name of health of taking out all these different food categories. And your body actually doesn't run off of air. It's too bad. (laughs) You need more than that. (laughs) All right. So there's so much I want to unpack there because this is going to fly in the face of everything that everyone is spreading around right now, right? I want to do this in a way that's helpful. So the first thing is most of the studies, and I want to reiterate this because it's true and I found the same, are not on women of childbearing age. Okay. I don't know about you, but that is a big, long chunk of someone's lifespan when you're a woman, right? It's like from you starting your menstrual cycle until you go into perimenopause and menopause, you are in childbearing age, which means you need enough fuel to keep your hormones balanced. That is what you need to be a optimal thriving woman, which that's the standard we're talking from. I'm just going to make that so everyone knows. I'm all about optimal thriving, not like, oh, I barely survived. Like we want you feeling good. We want you feeling energetic. We don't want you to have bouts of terrible fatigue, terrible PMS, terrible periods. We want you feeling good. So in that window of time, what are we looking at, Sarah? Like, why are these things harmful? Okay, so a couple of things happen. One, your body becomes catabolic. Now that means that it begins to break itself down to get the fuel it needs to keep going. For instance, you will break down your thymus gland. You will break down bones, joints, ligaments, muscle tissue, And what the body does is it breaks it down in a process called gluconeogenesis, basically saying that your body is creating glucose for fuel for your cells so that you can keep doing what you're doing. That's an emergency response. It's not an everyday response. Your fight, flight, freeze response is something that's supposed to save your life. It's not something that you're supposed to live in every single day for the rest of your life. 
when we don't get enough food, your body is going to go into fight, flight, freeze. It's going to go into some sort of response, emergency response to keep your body alive. Now that means it's going to dysregulate your hormones because it's not worried about having a menstrual cycle, nor is it worried about carrying a child to term. It's just keeping you alive. And that's how we've stayed alive all these thousands of years. Another thing that happens when we don't get enough protein and carbs, our liver cannot adequately go into phase two detoxification. So we're not going to detox our excess hormones, which we need. We need to detox our excess estrogen. We don't want it in our body. We know that estrogen dominance is something that a lot of us have dealt with and are dealing with currently. And so we're actually not able to do that. So your body actually doesn't function the way it was supposed to function. And you're not going to have great energy. You're going to have poor sleep. If you're waking up in the middle of the night and you're like, gosh, I just can't wake up, but I can't go back to sleep. Or if you're also waking up to use the restroom, those are signs that your body is imbalanced because you're not getting enough food or enough carbs or enough protein or enough fat. So there's some trigger words that women with endo will understand. We all are always told estrogen dominance is bad. Okay. This is another reason why I want to dissect this is we know estrogen dominance isn't good. We need adequate levels of progesterone during the second phase of our cycle, but that takes a lot of nutrients in order to cycle out all those estrogens, support the liver, right? And we're going to air this podcast after a podcast with Dr. Carrie Jones, where we already talked about what phase one and phase two detoxification is. So if you listen to that episode, if you didn't, you should go listen to it because it's amazing. She talks about how we actually process these different harmful forms of estrogen. There are different forms of estrogen. They're not all bad. Again, let's not deem. I talked about we don't demonize estrogen. Estrogen is good. It makes you beautiful. It makes your right now. I'm in follicular phase. My skin looks amazing. I can tell. Like next week, it's not going to look as hot. So it's just that's the way it works. But you love estrogen, but you need it detoxified out of your liver appropriately so it doesn't cause cellular DNA damage, which is a big issue for women with endo. If you're not getting enough nutrients and you're not getting the right type of balance of nutrients, you're not going to support the liver enough to actually detox estrogen and you're going to stay in an estrogen dominant state, which is not good. So it's counterintuitive to me that people are always telling women with endo, get out of estrogen dominance. And then they say, and then eat nothing and restrict all these foods. So I think my question is, what is a responsible way to find out what foods are the triggers without completely reducing your nutrient load per day is kind of the way I'm thinking about it to a dangerous level. And again, it's all coming from a really good place. And I actually, I'm talking about this too, because I've been there and I've done that. And I really don't want women to like fall down that hole that I fell down, which is, okay, I'm really, really sick and I really want to heal my gut and I really want to get better. So now I'm going to reduce everything. And then the list gets longer. And the more influencers you watch, the list gets shorter and shorter until finally you're like, okay, I can eat this one food group and I can drink water and breathe air like we're teasing about. It's like, I'm teasing, but it's it's pretty serious. So how do women find out what foods to eliminate when? And then what's this larger arc of healing look like? I think one of the most important things to know is that some of the things that can be the most highly inflammatory foods are what we call polyunsaturated fatty acids or PUFAs. Those ones can be eliminated and you're not going to miss them. If we're in the beginning stages of this, that's the first thing I always tell people to eliminate. The next thing I would eliminate, that's hard to say because everyone's so bio-individual and different triggers are going to cause different things. I will say that if something is telling you to stop eating fruit, I'm going to say don't. Fruit is so nutrient dense and it has great amount of carbs for you, vitamins, minerals, things that you just don't get in processed foods. 
So eating fruit, eating enough protein, get creative. I, I don't know. I haven't checked out your website lately, but do you have lists like food lists on your website? I have like a recipe guide and places for them to start with that. And I have what I did to navigate the endometriosis diet. So I wouldn't call it an exclusive list of like, you can and can't have this, but it's more like I wrote it as like a guided category thing. Cause I live by principles now and I'm teaching principles. So like I talk about the PUFAs, PUFAs are the first thing I go for, by the way, with women with endo always. If they ask me, what do I do? Eliminate them right now because they create unhealthy cell membranes. You do not eat unhealthy cell membranes with endo. In fact, I don't have like hundred percent proof of this yet, but let's be honest, your uterus and your vagina are also a cell membrane that is actually quite understudied. So if you have leaky gut, I'd say the odds are that you're going to have probably a leaky vagina slash uterine wall, in which case we don't actually even know that endo isn't a direct cause of you having some sort of infection and then a leaky cell membrane and then the immune system activating and attacking your own cells and having these lesions, which are endo, that have a lot of macrophages in them. So that's kind of a nerdy way of, of looking at it. But I think that there is a huge leaky reproductive tract component to endo that's just very understudied. So I just kind of approach it that way, which means you need PUFAs out of your life right now, like yesterday. 100%. And then I kind of go through the different categories. It's kind of what I lead them through on my website of like how to look at this. But let's talk about protein, if that's okay. Yeah, let's do it. Because protein's sticky and it's important and it's also highly debated. So why do people throw around like, all of these categories of proteins are bad and you can never touch them and help navigate us through that because that one's a little complex to explain and I couldn't quite get all of it on the website. Okay, so what we need to understand that we need to get enough bioavailable protein. And what I want this community to know is bioavailable protein doesn't always mean plant protein. Plant protein, nuts and seeds, soy, whatever that is, your body, those actually have in them anti-nutrients, like they have defense mechanisms and your body isn't really able to absorb it or utilize it. Just because something contains protein does not mean that that protein is getting into your body and absorbed and doing it and becoming amino acids and doing all the things it's supposed to do. I am a huge, huge advocate for animal protein and all the various types. So muscle meats, collagen, gelatin, we need them all. And we really have, as a society, gotten away from eating nose to tail. We used to do it, you know, hundreds of years ago, we utilized the entire animal. Now we don't really do that anymore. And it's really a shame because there's so many nutrients that are really, really good for us. We need protein for our liver to do what it needs to do. And if we don't get enough, we'll become catabolic. And in the catabolic state, one of the root causes of endo, I'm convinced, is these severe chronic infections that aren't completely cleared from the body. So what happens in a catabolic state to your immune system and its ability to fight infection? Well, it's not going to work the way it was supposed to because remember, one of the things that your body breaks down is your thymus gland. And if you don't know, your thymus gland actually makes your T-cells. Your T-cells are part of your immune system that attacks and does all these incredible things all hail the immune system. Like let's give credit where credit is due to our incredible immune systems, keeping us alive. But here's the thing. If you're not getting enough food, if you're not getting enough protein, not getting enough glucose or carbs, then your thymus is what's going to get broken down. And if it's getting broken down, you know, it's not going to be doing the things it's supposed to do to keep your infections away. 
And there's even some new research, which actually is a positive side of this whole pandemic situation, where doctors are starting to experiment more with exosomes. They're starting to experiment more with these peptides, which are all about regenerating or even replacing things that used to come directly from your thymus gland, which is I find fascinating. I'm hoping to actually have, um, there's a doctor who's doing some really experimental stuff with this right now that's really fascinating. I'm hoping to have him on the podcast at some point to talk about this, but because I've played with peptides myself and kind of played with some of these things. That's expensive, just to be honest. So from a non-expensive way, you can support your thymus gland right now and your thyroid and your whole metabolism by pro-metabolically eating. So why don't you dissect a little bit more for us? Like what is this pro-metabolic thing and like how does it work and why is it so different than what we've been told from all of these studies about intermittent fasting and, you know, that all red meat is evil and, and these types of things? Like how can we shift our thinking away from some of these things we've been told? So one thing I want to remind everybody is that you have the right to change your mind. When I first started learning about the pro-metabolic way of eating, I had to unlearn so many things. I was actually really offended about what I was learning that that caused me to dig deeper and to really begin to understand and to relearn what I already knew when I learned in my nutrition program. You know, I just want you guys to know, like, as I say these certain things, It's okay to be like, I don't agree with that, but then begin to research and look into the things that I'm talking about so that you can have an educated understanding of what I'm saying. And then if you start trying it, let me know because it might rock your world. So pro-metabolic eating is basically eating to support your metabolism. Your metabolism really is the foundation for all metabolic things that go on in your body. For us to actually measure the metabolism, we would have to measure every single cell in the entire body, which is not possible. Signs of healthy metabolism is strong hair and nails, warm body temperature, one to three bowel movements, symptomless periods, endless energy, strong body, strong muscles, strong bones. A strong immune system. So basically all the things, digestion, elimination. All the things with women with endo struggle with, just by the way, I'm just going to chime in there and say, <laughs> oh, like there you if, go. All, all my endo communities are like, oh, my hair falls out. My nails break. I hear this all the time, by the way. I'm, I'm actually recounting what happened to me long before I knew what was going on, but also things that women in the community post every day now. My hair's falling out, my nails breaking. I can't get off the couch. I'm exhausted. I can't even wake up in the morning. I never can get a good night's sleep. Like you were saying, I get up multiple times in the middle of the night. All the things you just said, slow digestion, not pooping enough. It's like, okay, so all those things could be an issue with your metabolism. 100%. Your thyroid is basically the engine. And if the thyroid is the engine, we say that your adrenal glands are your spark plugs. So everything works together. So pro-metabolically is basically eating every couple hours a balanced meal of protein, carbs, and fats so that you stay balanced and you have the nutrients you need. You're getting plenty of vitamins and minerals from food, not necessarily from supplements. You don't really have a deficiency in supplements. You have a deficiency of nutrients. So basically you're eating every two to three hours or three to four hours, depending on your body's needs. You are eating lots of carbohydrates. About 50% of your plate is carbohydrates. And I'm not just talking about vegetables. A lot of cruciferous vegetables can be more harmful on the thyroid than helpful when we're starting to heal our metabolism. So I would say maybe not eating those right now or make sure they're really, 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 really cooked 
so that you can appropriately digest them and they don't interfere with your thyroid. It's interesting. Some women with endo, I notice, have sulfur sensitivities anyway. So I don't know how that originated, but it seems like a lot of us women with endo have genetic SNPs in our thyroid and we have genetic SNPs in our gut. And so we tend to be at a proclivity of having a little bit of a metabolic dysfunction there because those two organs are constantly kind of under stress or under threat. And I just find it fascinating that you know, while you're trying to support them, you think, okay, so now I'm going to estrogen detox and I'm going to eat a ton of broccoli. And I did this. So this is why I know. And I got really, really sick because I was having a sulfur sensitivity issue after I was basically like running my systems too far with the amount of broccoli and cauliflower I was eating. So this is where we get into like, just because it's a healthy food with a big healthy label doesn't mean it's healthy for you right now in this season of your healing. Yeah, no, that's so good. I didn't know that. That's so good. Uh, we do, we label things healthy and then we don't either. And then we label them unhealthy like dairy. And we say, oh, dairy is of the devil and don't eat it. And actually dairy is one of the most nutrient dense food. And this is one of the things that I was like so offended by because I was almond milk, you know, coconut milk and all the, the substitutes I was, I, I did all those things. And so when I read this book called how to heal your metabolism by Kate Deering, brilliant woman, and she's talking about dairy and she's even mentioning conventional dairy, <gasps> like raw and organic and all those great options. But then she's like, but Hey, if the only thing available is conventional dairy, drink conventional dairy. And I'm just like, my mind is blown that she's recommending this, but it makes sense. I don't drink conventional dairy, but I do drink raw. I drink raw cream in my milk. I mean, I'm not in my milk in my coffee. <laughs> I'm totally leaving that. I'm sorry. I'm not cutting that out. I was too cute. <laughs> <laughs> I drink raw cream in my milk. It's great. It's a great recovery drink for after workouts. Once your body finally feels ready to do that, which I don't recommend working out right away because we need to get you have energy and be able to recover. Because if you can't recover, then you're just burning through minerals at a rapid rate. Eating every two to three or three to four hours, eating protein and carbs together, not eating as high of fat as we thought that we needed. I did the whole keto thing and gained weight. So that was fun, but we don't actually need as high as fat intake as we think we do. We do need good quality fat, butter, coconut oil, animal fat. We need good quality fat. I will say though, it will keep you fuller longer and you won't eat as consistently if you have a high fat diet. Which might actually be challenging as a woman. I've been discovering this. This is not research. This is just anecdotal, like personal observation. I've noticed when I went a little more high fat, I would eat less, which at first I thought was good. And then I started having some of the symptoms you were just explaining where I think my body started to eat itself, which is not what I want. It was not a good thing. And when we're talking about your body eating itself, again, we're talking about severe problems with leaky gut because your, your cell membranes start breaking down pretty quickly from what I can tell myself if I'm not eating enough. So all that to say, again, these studies are usually done on men. They're usually not done on women of reproductive cycle years, which is a huge chunk of your life. And we still are learning how women need to eat in this pro-metabolic way that supports their hormones through each phase of the cycle. So real quick, if it's okay, I want to transition to talking about the phases of the cycle and how maybe some of this pro-metabolic stuff can kind of overlayer with the cycle because I'm really fascinated by this right now. So what do you think about the fact that as women, even our eating habits should shift during the cycle, like menstruation, follicular phase, ovulation, luteal phase, what happens there? Because I think there's actually dramatic nutrient shifts I'm noticing myself and myself that change throughout the cycle. And I don't hear anyone talking about this yet. 
Yeah. So the only person I've really heard talk about it is Elisa Vitti. And she does have a recommendation of eating a certain way for the infradian rhythm. Now, I don't know that I 100% agree with it. I do think movement matters and certain types of movement during certain parts of your cycle are better. You know, sometimes when you're in your luteal phase, which is right before you start your period, you really want to lift heavy weights. And I'm a huge fan of lifting weights, of heavy weights, of building muscle. We know that that's really metabolically supportive. As far as eating, I know that we do tend to crave more food in certain parts of your cycle. I haven't really changed how much or what I eat during certain parts. I do know that if I get a craving for something, that means that my body is typically deficient in it. So if I'm craving chocolate or if I'm craving sugar, typically that means that my body needs more fuel or needs more magnesium. You know, if we're craving chocolate, we tend to be deficient in magnesium, which almost everybody is anyways in this day Mm -hmm. and age. But if I'm craving carbohydrates, if I'm craving, you know, lots of ice cream or sugary treats, that is a telltale sign that I'm not getting enough fuel in my body. And I will notice that during certain parts of my cycle. But as far as eating for each phase, to me, that's a lot of work (laughs) and I probably won't do it. (laughs) Yeah. And at the end of the day, that's really the point of our talk is like, you have to find what works for you. You can't live your life off of a meme. That's spoiler alert. That's the whole point of this conversation is like, you can't just have a, a meme that looks really cute or an infographic someone made and live your life by that. If it doesn't work, if your hair starts falling out, if you don't feel good, if you can't get off the couch, the answer is not that you need to eat less meat. That is not the answer. The answer is you need to find out what's going on and help your body recover in a way that's sustainable because whatever you do is going to be sustainable. So if you're not going to do it, don't do it. You know, it's like find what works. I will say personally, because I'm nerdy like this, I have played with changing my diet during different phases of the cycle. And I have found that I can tolerate more raw foods during follicular phase, which makes sense because I have higher estrogen and it seems like I have less histamine problems as well during that phase. So I can kind of get away with more follicular to ovulation. As soon as ovulation hits and the histamine levels rise, I kind of avoid a little bit of the higher histamine load because it seems to kind of push me over the edge a bit, which I don't like. And then in follicular phase, if progesterone is really doing good, like if I ovulated well and my little uh, ovary is doing her job and I've got a good level of progesterone, I tend to be able to tolerate less of the raw foods, but more like seriously heavy, like cooked foods is like kind of what I crave. And it tends to be really easy to digest stuff is what I do well with during progesterone phase and luteal. So I think that's interesting. I don't know that it's the most important thing to do right away. It's kind of like more advanced thing I've done later on. That's kind of fun. But if a woman is just starting her journey and she's like, okay, so you changed my mind. I don't want to just follow this meme for my lifestyle advice. How do I learn more about my metabolism, how it works, and how I actually eat this pro-metabolic way? How can we help them, Sarah? What's the best way to do that? Consistency matters. Hmm. So I want you to consistently get enough food in your diet. And now this might mean that you have to track your food. When I first started doing this, I tracked my food and I ate about 1,400 calories a day. That is not even close to being enough. The least amount that I would say that someone needs is 1,800 calories would be the least amount. And that is like someone who's super petite, doesn't burn at a high caloric rate. Which we kind of burn at different levels anyway, right? I know age does kind of affect it, like different stress levels in your life affect it, but like we all kind of burn at a different metabolic rate anyway. So tracking is the best way to start because you need to find out what your metabolic rate is and where your calorie load is, right, to start. Correct. And you're not going to be tracking forever. Once you figure out your rhythm, you'll be fine. I just want you to know that consistency is important. So if you eat 
a thousand calories one day and then 2000 calories the next day, your body's going to be super confused and it's not going to balance appropriately. Now, if you start, you realize, oh, I only eat about a thousand calories a day and you jump up to 2000 calories a day, your body's going to go into shock and you're going to gain weight. Hmm. You're going to have a lot of dysfunction happening. So if I could give you some advice, I would say go slowly track for a week, what you're eating. And then that following week, when you're ready to make that change, I would say up your calories by 50 to hundred calories a day. So if you're normally eating 1500 calories, that's kind of your average. The next week you're going to eat anywhere from 1550 to 1600 and slowly increase it and teaching your body to utilize the carbs that you're now eating. Mm. Because a lot of us went from a super low, low, low carbohydrate diet. And then I increased my carbohydrates because I was like, oh, freedom to eat the carbs. And I ate all the carbs and I gained an enormous amount of weight. It's pretty uncomfortable, but the freedom that I'm experiencing, I have great energy. I have great periods. Who says that nowadays? Um, I have no eczema. So I will absolutely trade this weight gain for those incredible feeling in my body, having great energy and whatnot. And again, as women, we struggle with that. And that's a different issue. It's more of like a psychological, mm-hmm. cultural one of like, well, I want to be at this size or I want to fit in my jeans. And I'm going to say this just because I know someone's thinking it like, oh, okay, but what if I do gain some weight? How do I cope with that? That's a different thing. I mean, you have to, you're going to have to cope with that and kind of psychologically adjust to it. But I will say if women can just focus on how they feel during this process, not so much what you look like in the mirror, because that's really not going to be reflective immediately of the end result after all the healing anyway. I think that they're going to find that your body isn't going to lie to you. It's going to tell you, hey, this is healthy for me. And this amount of weight, you'll know, you'll feel good, is healthy for me. And your hormones will reflect it. Like you're saying, I've been tracking my cycle for years now. And I track my cycle with my temperature. And I can tell I've gained a tiny bit of weight this last year, but it's all in the right places because my hormones are like super balanced. And I feel amazing. And I don't know that I've ever felt this good. So I'm totally fine with the fact that I need maybe a slight size up on my jeans because my hips are a little bigger, like whatever. Because if I'm not going to get a debilitating period and not be able to get off the couch, who cares if I look cute in jeans? You can't go anywhere if you don't feel good. So I think I want women to just kind of be accepting of the fact that like, if you gain a little bit of weight on the journey, just be forgiving and nice and kind and say nice things to yourself. Don't be like, oh man, no, I got to, you know, it doesn't mean it's not working because not everything is about losing weight. Amen. I, this is my standing ovation for that. <laughs> P.S. You guys, April looks amazing in jeans. <laughs> She's so nice. You're a freaking stunner, girlfriend. I love you so much. In this pro-metabolic world, if you start following certain people on the social medias, you will see that sometimes we have to gain weight to lose weight. Your body actually has to feel safe mm-hmm. before it's actually going to let go. So if weight issues are something like, come hang out with me, like we'll be best friends and we will work through this because there is a psychological game that your brain plays because of what we've been taught as a culture, what looks feminine, what's not feminine, all the things. So mm-hmm. honestly, for me, I will take the weight gain giving all of the results that I have experienced in this journey. We're playing the long game, I guess, is the other point I want women to know. We're playing the long game here. A lot of people are playing the short game. The crash diet is a very short game type of situation. I think the crash diet culture is definitely bled into the healing culture, which is unfortunate because they're really different games. It's like if I'm trying to lose weight for a movie picture, that's a very different thing than I'm trying to balance my hormones long term for 
best energy level, mental performance, and fertility. Like those are different goals. So I always ask women to state what their goals are and then to try to think appropriately for that goal. So we're not trying to just get into a smaller pair of jeans here. And I know women with endo will chuckle at that because they're like, no, I just want to figure out how to get out of the couch. (laughs) Like that's really my goal in life is how do I get off the couch? Mm -hmm. And I understand that goal because I've been there. So set the goal that you need to attain and then remember that this is a long game and you're playing it for the long haul. So it might take a spell, might take a little bit of time, but it is worth it. And Sarah and I have both been through our own versions of this journey and we're finding that eating more is worth it. Thank you for sharing so much, Sarah. Tell our women a little bit about if they want to go deeper, if they want to really learn more about their metabolism and they want a little bit of guided assistance in that process and not just completely, you know, do it at home by themselves. How can they get more help with it? A book that I would recommend is How to Heal Your Metabolism by Kate Deering. You can look into the works of Dr. Ray Pete. That's R-A-Y-P-E-A-T, who has lots of studies and articles on his website. Great places to start if you're into that nerdy, like, I want to learn all the things like April and I do. (laughs) The last thing I'm going to recommend, and this is just a foundation, a basis for understanding the metabolism, what went wrong and how to begin healing, is I wrote and recorded a metabolism masterclass. And that's just going to give you the basic foundation. I'm not going to go super deep, but I'm just going to give you some ideas of what went wrong and then how to begin to heal. And I'm going to put the link in the show notes so women can click on that and find that and go through that process with you. Real quick before we wrap up, I want one more quick tip from you on what is a strategy you found is really helpful when women are like, I'm still consistently not hitting my goal of trying to get to the certain amount of nutrients because you and I keep saying, I don't think women are eating enough. I think we're stressed. I think we're busy. I think we're carrying all the things. You know, I love women. We're badasses. We do all these things, but I don't think we're taking great care of ourselves in that process. So what is some tips and what are some foods real quick that like you've noticed help get you over the edge when you're feeling like you're not quite hitting your nutrient goals for the day? I will try and plan out my day as best as possible, but I will be 100% honest. I am terrible at planning out my day and food prepping and food planning. I'm just going to tell you, I know I'm a nutritionist, but I'm not great at it. But my favorite thing, my absolute favorite go-to is what's called the adrenal cocktail. Mm. I swear by this thing. If you're someone who is in a high stress season and you can tolerate the food that's in it, this is going to change your life. I'm not even kidding. So organic orange juice, four to six ounces of organic orange juice, one to two tablespoons of raw cream, or if you're not into the raw cream thing quite yet, you can use full fat coconut milk, collagen, salt. So I use Celtic sea salt. You can use real salt, whatever good quality salt you have. Ooh, Himalayan sea salt is one of my favorites. And cream of tartar, which is potassium. Ooh, and cream of tartar. Oh. So this is a great macronutrient ratio drink. I blend it up. You can use a shaker bottle. You can put ice in it and make like a creamsicle. It basically tastes like a creamsicle. And this thing has revolutionized my ability to combat stress because it replaces lots of minerals that are depleted in stress. And it tastes good, but it's quick. It's easy. It's delicious. I highly recommend. You're welcome. Okay. I'll try to link it in the show notes too. I'll put Sarah's adrenal (laughs) cocktail. Before we wrap up, I have one more question for you that's kind of my favorite question on this podcast, which is, what is something that you're excited about that you think is going to be available to women's health in the next five to 10 years? Two things. One, I think the work that you're doing and the educating that you're doing, I really believe that doctors and nurses are going to be better equipped to deal and to handle and to support women with endo. 
The second thing I think is as we continue to talk about women eating more food, I believe that the more we can talk about eating in a pro-metabolic way and healing our bodies that way, that we're really going to revolutionize the diet and fitness industry with sustainable way of living and not being slave to our symptoms. The more we can learn about how to fuel our bodies appropriately and to eat the things and to become resilient to stress, I really believe that we are going to see some really strong women birth some really strong babies and create a whole new culture of what it means to live healthy and whole. Thank you so much for everything, Sarah. I'm sure you'll be on here again to talk about some other amazing subject. But until then, I hope that women have a huge takeaway of you're probably not eating enough and we want you to eat more. I know, revolutionary idea. Mind blown. <laughs> Some Future Podcast was created and is hosted by April Summerford, executive podcast producer Mather DeLeon. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed in this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including April Summerford and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.